This is a GRDC podcast. Phosphorus field trials have been running for a very long time in Western Australia, around 60 years in fact. Hallmarked by long-term private and public partnership study, this field management in WA has demonstrated the high value of collaboration that leads to better understanding the influences around yield response to phosphorus fertiliser. Hello, I'm Deborah Bishop. That high-level and long-term collaboration is producing key research findings for growers and advisors who are keen to maximise profit and efficiency from phosphorus fertiliser. I caught up with senior research scientist Craig Scanlon from WA's Department of Primary Industry and Regional Development about what's driving and influencing yield response to phosphorus fertiliser in current cropping systems, which importantly now includes climate in the equation around the responses being observed around pea fertiliser. I guess the basis of this work was that there's been some pretty major changes in our farming systems since some of the earlier work has been done and it's sort of timely to revisit what soil or climate factors are actually driving response um, in our cropping systems nowadays. Because I understand most of the knowledge that we use to guide decisions about pea fertiliser in WA at least is derived from cropping systems that differ from those currently used by WA grain producers. Is that the case? Yes, it is. Our knowledge base is based upon a long history of field research that actually goes all the way back to the 1960s. And since that time, there's been some major changes to the way that we establish crops. So long-term adoption of no-till. So that's important for phosphorus nutrition in that we expect that there's less mixing of phosphorus, so potentially some stratification of pea. And I guess the other major change that's happened is around land use. So historically, we were a dominantly pasture production system, but in the last 30 years, we switched from mostly pasture through to mostly crop. And also our land use within that cropping area has changed. So we're mostly non-legume crops now with a much lower proportion of legume crops. And within our pastures, there's also been overall a decline in pasture quality. So what that means is that we have less cycling of phosphorus coming through from our grain legumes and our pasture legumes. Okay. As you mentioned, I mean, phosphorus field trials have been running for decades in WA over that time. The aim of this research, I understand, was to look at factors that might have great influence on wheat yield and the response to pea fertiliser in our cropping systems. Just tell us a little bit about how long you've been conducting these trials and this research and why it's important to study phosphorus. It's important for us to revisit pea because it's a major investment and it's something that growers are investing in annually. So an important part of driving the profit of their cropping programs and a major component of working out where your profitable rate lies is the decision support products. So to be able to provide, I guess, advice to advisors, we needed to build a data set fairly rapidly of some field experiments that we could use to try and pick apart what's actually driving the response to pea. And so we did that in collaboration with CSBP and Summit. And what we did is set up a series of 40 field experiments over four years. And we used the same design at each site and used the same sampling protocol at each site and collected climate data at each site. And so the aim of that was to allow us to interrogate how soil chemical properties or soil physical properties on their own effect response to pea, but also how they might interact with climate. So really it's the first time we've had 
a large data set with complete soil and climate measurements where we can really dig deep into what's driving yield response to pea fertiliser. So you did mention a couple of the stakeholders that have been involved in this, but understand that collaboration has been a key factor to bring these research findings to the fore. And it's been quite a unique collaboration of stakeholders. Can you just take us through those? Yeah, it has. So the work that we're talking about now was a public-private partnership with the project and CSBP and Summit in terms of implementing that series of field experiments. But that series of field experiments is actually nested within a larger program of work within two projects that were funded by GRDC. And those projects have been run through the Soils West Alliance, which includes Murdoch University, DPIRD, UWA, Curtin, CSBP and Summit. Quite a collection there. <laughs> it is, yes. So we, I suppose, can have confidence in that respect in regard to the research findings with the calibre of that collaboration. Yeah, absolutely. And so one of the really successful parts of the partnership that we've had with CSPP and Summit is the coverage that we've been able to achieve over WA. So by working with those companies, we've been able to have a set of field experiments that gives us a really good representation of the north to south gradient that we get in WA and also the east to west and actually being able to capture a range of soil types. So going to those really high buffering, high yield potential sites through to the lower rainfall areas in the eastern wheat belt as well. Well, let's move on to yield response. And what evidence did you find in support of yield response and what specific crops, if you can go through those, have you been trialling with the variations between pea and varietal? So our work is focused on wheat only and only on one variety with sceptre wheat. We approach the analysis with a number of techniques. And so first looking at, say, soil properties only or climate properties. But I guess overall what we found was that phosphorus buffering index, so PBI, was a main determinant in how factors that affect response to P differ. So in our data set, that threshold was for a PBI of around 50. So for the sites that were above that value, we found that the response was closely related to the DGTP value. And so they were mostly in the southwest corner on the higher PBI soils that we have in our state. And interestingly, when we go at PBI values below 50, so mostly our lighter soils, we found that climate and soil pH were the main drivers of response. And the climate aspect was around rainfall. So when we did our rainfall analysis, we looked at different windows of rainfall in relation to sowing. And what we found there was a window of around five to two weeks before sowing that had the greatest influence on responsiveness. And what we found within that window was that where we had low rainfall, so less than eight millimetres, we saw the largest responses to fertiliser pea. And as rainfall increased above that eight millimetre threshold, those responses started to fall away. So when we investigated the relationship between rainfall prior to sowing and response to pea, we actually found that soil pH was important. So we did some regression tree modelling and it fell out that where you have less than eight millimetres of rain in that period, you see the highest responses to pea. And greater than that threshold, soil pH becomes important. So as you go over that threshold of about eight millimetres of rain, where soil pH was less than 5.1, you see bigger responses than where pH was greater than 5.1. So it's really the only instance in that data set where we saw soil properties and climate interact, but we were only able to detect that interaction after we first identified that relationship between rainfall before sowing and response to pea. 
on soils where PBI is less than 50. You mentioned phosphorus buffering index, PBI. What actually is it and how does it influence these trials? So phosphorus buffering index is a measure of a soil's capacity to absorb or release phosphorus. And so soils with a low PBI, so our lighter soils, our sands, typically have lower PBI. So what it means is that they need a lower level of soil P, usually measured with coal wheel P, to meet the crop demand. Apart from learning about uh, P, what are the other key benefits that have emerged from this long-term study? I guess one of the key benefits has been from our economic analysis in that we have a really solid data set now to look at economics in terms of managing P at the moment. With the recent increases in phosphorus fertiliser prices, there's been a lot more concern around where those optimal rates might lie. And our analysis has showed that it's the level of yield response that is the main driver of where your optimal rate would lie. And at the high end of responses, say greater than a tonne per hectare, the optimal rate is actually quite insensitive to the price of MAP within the range that's happened recently. It's more at the lower responses, so where you're getting, say, less than 250 kilos of wheat response to your P. They're the scenarios where your optimal rate is quite sensitive to the price of your phosphorus fertiliser. So I guess one of the other important outcomes of the work we've done is that there are scenarios where we're still picking up a calibration with coal P, particularly on the lighter soils. So in this data set, that was for soils where PBI was less than 20, and we use a zero to 30 sampling depth. That was able to detect some of those highly responsive sites. But we also know from previous work that Colwell P is still a really valuable tool for monitoring soil P fertility. So as an example, there was a 20-year study at Newtigate Research Station where soil P levels were monitored with Colwell P over a 20-year period and it was able to pick up the build-up of phosphorus that happened over the first 12 years and then the rundown of phosphorus in the following eight years after P application was based on soil P test. So that's certainly still a really valuable tool in the kit that we have to monitor our long-term soil pea fertility. So Craig, we can look back on 60 years of research in this regard on a very important issue. Where is the future taking us in regard to research that might need to be done in that space? So this work has shown us that climate has become an important component in predicting response to fertiliser application. And I mean, really, we've only been able to achieve that by a significant investment by GRDC into a project that includes a wide range of partners and being able to make a significant investment in these field trials. So I guess into the future, we really need to be taking into account climate in terms of the responses that we observe and also being able to use that to assess riskiness from the farmer's point of view. So in conclusion, do you have a couple of key takeaways for our listeners? Yeah, we do. So they are around the factors that are driving response. So based on this work, where PBI is less than 50, we expect climate and soil pH to be really important factors in terms of driving response. When we get over that threshold, we expect soil chemistry to be the major driver of response to P. Craig, thanks again for talking to us. My pleasure. Thanks, Deb. And you've been listening to Craig Scanlon, Senior Research Scientist with WA's Department of Primary Industry, and regional development. More information can be found on the GRDC website. I'm Deborah Bishop and thanks for listening. Listener.